like to say hello and greetings to the people at uh, Brentwood Campus and Allison Campus, as well as our Saturday evening uh, congregation uh, here in this nice day in July. I want to uh, just talk a bit tonight and this morning about um, community and what does it mean to build community and what kind of people we need to be in order to share in that community. I want to draw from this passage in 1 Peter 3.15, and I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a hope-shaped people, a people who are both shaped by hope, but also a people who actually um, exude the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect." I want to talk a little bit about the two stories that are going on all the time in the believer's life. The first is God's story of hope and how that needs to inform us and shape us. We need to understand this story of hope that God has for his people. It starts with, um, of course, in the Old Testament, you have God leading his people Israel you have, you have God speaking through the prophets and speaking through um, the judges and leaders of the people to draw people to a place of faithfulness to God. Over and over again, we read about the covenant kindness or the loving kindness of God, his mercy toward his people, who even though they sinned, even though they turned aside, he would show them favor and grace. And of course, this culminates in our New Testament story where God sends his one and only son to this planet earth to reveal himself to us. And as we get to the end of the story of Jesus' life, some significant things happen which actually change the very nature of this universe that we live in. The first, of course, is the death of Jesus Christ, because it is on the cross that that Jesus defeats the powers of darkness. We know that Jesus, in his death, um, takes away the power and the authority of Satan and the evil forces of this world, and they no longer have authority over any human being. We also learn in the Scripture that when Jesus died on the cross, our sins are forgiven when we put our faith in him. That for somehow, and I don't understand all the mystery of this, but somehow the sins that I've committed, Jesus bore the penalty for that. It's in this story of Jesus' death that we find hope. Hope that we can be set free from addictions and from sin, from our lack of love toward one another. We can be set free from that because Jesus defeated the powers of sin in this world. And also we learn from Scripture that we can receive mercy from God and grace. And it's in this death of Jesus that we find hope. But it doesn't end there. Of course, we learn in that same story that three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. 
that the one who humanity, through the power of the Roman authorial uh, uh, imperial power, declared guilty. And remember, this is significant because the Jewish people did not accept Jesus, of course, and they handed them over to Rome uh, to be disciplined. And, And Rome, which represented the authority and the law of the world, turned its back against Jesus and sentenced him to death. But God, the ultimate authority of the universe, declares Jesus righteous and raises him from the dead. And if God can turn all of that human power on its head, all of that human authority and condemnation on its head, and declare Jesus righteous and no longer dead but alive, we know that we ourselves, as we put our faith in him and his promises, that we too will be raised from the dead, that we too will receive that declaration from God that we are saved, that we are forgiven. And we, we can find hope in this reality. And it's quite often in Protestantism, in, in the Baptists, in, in, uh, in, in most Protestants, non-Catholic uh, Christianity, that really that's all we talk about. We just talk about the death and the resurrection, and then we get on with living. And what does this mean? But the story doesn't end there in the Bible. If we read the Gospels right through to the end, we get to this other very interesting part of the story called the Ascension. And this is where after Jesus, teaching his disciples for 40 days, actually rises up into the sky before them and ascends into heaven. Now most of us, as we read that, we think, what in the world is going on there? And I always read this as one of those, the many places where God condescends to our cultural expectations. I personally don't, necess- don't think that heaven is somewhere up. Uh, up is just a, a, a cultural expectation. Everyone expected heaven to be up. So where did Jesus go? He went up. Just like God doesn't have a finger and doesn't have a, a, a face per se, but yet he reveals himself in this way through his son because God wants to reveal himself in that relationship of love so that we can understand him, we can receive him, and we can identify with him. God condescends down to our level so we can get it. And likewise in the ascension, Jesus ascends upward visually giving that image to his early disciples that Jesus is going up to God. And of course, we read later in Scripture that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that very special place of authority beside God's, beside God. And what this gives us hope in is the fact that when we pray, when we pray to God in Jesus' name, we're praying more, uh, we're not just praying in the name of, of a Jewish man who lived in the first century and who taught good things and loved really well and then tragically died, but somehow God raised him up. And isn't that a wonderful story? No, we are actually praying to the one that God has set on his right-hand side as his, the most important person to him. He is in that place of authority, ruling over creation. And as I pray to God in Jesus' name, I find hope in that. 
that the one who came to earth, the one who loved to the very end, the one who went to the cross, the one who, who, who was raised from the dead, the one who ascended into heaven is now seated at the right hand of God and I can go to him and bring my concerns. In this I have hope. In this we have hope. This is all part of God's story of hope. And then, of course, in the end, we learn in the, the book of Revelation, but also throughout Paul's letters and in the New Testament generally, even Jesus speaks about this. There is this restoration that will eventually happen to creation where God will finally say, okay, that's enough. Time must come to an end. Everything stops. And God will will. It is the judgment of, of all who were living and all who were, who were dead. It is the time when God calls everyone into account. And it is in this restoration that we look to Jesus. It's in this restoration that we even now find hope because we know that this is a trajectory that the world is on. It's moving toward that final place. Jesus started with 12, and then it was 120, and then after the ascension at 2,000, then 3,000, 100,000. Now in the world there are over 2 billion people who believe that Jesus died for their sins, raised from the dead, is seated at the right hand of God, and will return to judge the living and the dead. Over 2 billion people, starting from 12, just a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, who had nothing in common except their love for Jesus Christ. Think about what's possible when we put our hands and our hearts together to serve Jesus Christ. Because the trajectory of God is towards the, His kingdom breaking in to this world. In fact, that's what we pray, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we know that the end of the story, this will happen in an ultimate sense. And in this, we find hope. And so that's our story of hope in respect to God's story of hope. That's God's story. He's told it. He's lived it. He's given it to us. The question, of course, is how do we respond to that in our lives? How do we make this our story of hope? And I want to give just a couple of ideas that we need to really embrace if we are going to put, the, put it all together as a church, if we are going to build community and be the church the way that God would have us to be. The first thing is we need to focus on God's kingdom. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things that you normally worry about and are concerned about will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom. And this is a value that Jesus teaches, that Paul lived out, that all the early Christians uh, just embraced. But it's something that we in the modern church sometimes forget. We get so busy chasing after this and chasing after that and worrying about this and worrying about that that we forget to seek the kingdom and to put it first in our lives. Where are the investments that we need to make if we are going to be a kingdom people? What changes in our lives do we need to engage in if we are to be kingdom of, a, a kingdom people? A people who are shaped on this trajectory that God has for the world. Because we are a people of hope. 
Peter declares it, Paul declares it, all the New Testament declares it. The church is a people of hope, a community of hope. The second thing that we need to do, first focus on God's kingdom, the second thing we need to do is we need to see people as created in God's image. We need to see people not as a means to an end. We need to see people not as worthless. When we go down the street and there's homeless people there and we, and we don't even make eye contact because we just don't want to see them, we want to pretend they don't exist, this is not treating someone in, as being made in the image of God. Even the, the, the person who is in the worst possible shape in the world is a person who has an internal dignity because within them is the image of God. Remember Jesus' words when he talks about when he comes back and when he judges the nations and he says to the people on his, uh, his right, his, the sheep, uh, so to speak, you know, I was a stranger and you visited me. I was sick and you visited me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. You treated me well, even though I didn't deserve it, even though there was nothing in me. And when we as God's people start seeing others as being created in the image of God, worthy of dignity, worthy of a conversation, worthy of eye contact, worthy of our compassion and our ears, we will start to see people being changed. And the first person who gets changed is us. Because we actually start to see the beauty in people that before we never saw. But it starts with a commitment to live in a certain way. To live as a people of hope. Who see hope not just for ourselves, but hope for everyone. If they would put their faith and their love in Jesus Christ. And third, I would say we need as a people, as a community, we need to live in love, not in judgment. One of the things that always knocks us down in church is that we, we are quick to judge. We are quick to uh, criticize. We are quick to, to, to think we understand the whole situation and then just start judging accordingly. But this is not the way Jesus did it. Jesus fully understood everything, and he always found reason for grace. He always found reason for mercy. The woman who was caught in adultery, there was plenty there to judge, but he refused to judge, but instead he offered an opportunity for forgiveness and true repentance. I love to believe that, uh, that given that opportunity, when Jesus said, go and sin no more, that she took that opportunity that she saw that mercy, that she saw that opportunity, the love in Jesus' eyes, in his face, in his character. And she knew that she could live a different life. I choose to believe that when people are given the benefit of the doubt, when we pour grace onto our relationships rather than judgment, we see God do great things. There's this mirror test that is so important for us as we live our lives. We, the more we become aware of the grace that God has given to us, the more we become aware of just how much mercy we have received, the more we are willing to be gracious and kind to others. 
It was a few weeks ago, perhaps a month ago or, or more, I read an article about Abercrombie and Fitch where their owner and CEO, Mike Jeffries, said that he only wanted thin and beautiful people shopping at his stores. Now, regardless of what I think about this ethic of only wanting thin and beautiful people shopping at his stores, um, what floored me was when I actually saw a picture of Mike Jeffries. And I mean, I'm not one to criticize too much on this, but I mean, he was not uh, the uh, epitome of thin and beautiful. And I thought to myself, how ironic is it that the CEO of a company who only wants thin and beautiful people shopping at his stores is actually less than beautiful and less than thin? What's going on there? I mean, I asked myself, has this guy ever looked in the mirror? He shouldn't shop at his own stores. Self-awareness is very, very important. For instance, every morning I go to the mirror and I have this overwhelming desire that only a thin and beautiful person will show up. And every morning I have the disappointment of uh, something else looking back at me. And that's okay. You know, self-awareness. My, my mirror tells the truth. And we need to do that to our character, have that mirror test where we're looking at ourselves and being honest with ourselves and saying, you know what, I struggle in this area and God still loves me and God still is merciful to me. Okay, I don't struggle with the same thing that person struggles with, but you know what, it's the same thing. I need to show grace and I need to show mercy. We can't have an ethic where we are, 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 are living one way and then demanding others live in a different way. Or we end up with this Abercrombie and Fitch uh, duality that is repulsive. And other people see it as repulsive. And it should be repulsive to us as well. We need to live in love, not in judgment. Because it's as we do this, people begin to want to know more about this God we serve. They, they want to know more about this Jesus that we speak of because it is a message of love and acceptance instead of judgment. Finally, I, I want to just give a couple of practical tips to, um, of what we need to do. And, and some of this is taken from uh, Bill Hybels in his uh, Walk Across the Room um, uh, study. Uh, the first thing in sharing our hope, because really in the end, if we, are, if we understand God's story of hope and we have embraced that into our own story of hope, well, the Peter tells us we need to share our hope. We need to be ready and prepared for when people ask us, why is it that you hope? What is this hope that you have? What is this positivity that I see in your life? You know, we have our own lingo. We might not use the word hope in our modern culture, but people are going to see something attractive and they're going to say, hey, what's going on? And the first thing we need to do is we need to understand our audience. We need to know our audience, which means people don't want a 30-minute diatribe about how you've, you know, your whole journey. They want a three-minute slice that can summarize what's gone on in your life to bring you to this point. And we all need to know our three-minute story. We all need to have our three-minute story down about where we were, how Christ gave us hope, and how here we are today. We may not have it all figured out, but we know that this is what changed your life. 
We need that three-minute story. We need to have it nailed down so that we can share in an authentic way our story. Second, we need to avoid our weird God story. And we all have a weird God story, right? Where God did something absolutely incredible and amazing, and uh, it, it was so real to us, and, and it was real, I'm sure. And, and the thing is, is that other people just can't, especially if they're not even a believer, they're, you know, what the Bible says, spiritually dead, uh, they don't get our, 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 our incredible God story. And it just makes us sound a little bit insane, and so we need to be careful to avoid our, our weird God story until after a person's committed their life to Christ and all of a sudden they have an incredible experience of the divine and now they are open to hearing how God is moving in powerful ways in other people's lives. Because we all have a weird God story. I have one, several actually, and I'm sure you do as well. Those of you who have followed Christ for any length of time will have all kinds of stories like that. But what people want to know is not the weirdness. They want to know uh, what changed your life. What gives you hope? What helps you to love? How can you love like you do? And as Peter says in this text in 1 Peter 3.15, we need to share with gentleness and respect. This is a critical thing. You know, I've seen a lot of people share their faith, and I've seen a lot of it done with gentleness and respect, but I've also seen it done with an absolute disdain for the other person. It's almost like they hated the other person, and they were doing them a favor sharing a story or something. Peter says we need to take the, make the most of these opportunities that God gives us that we need to share with gentleness and respect. We need to respect the fact that this person doesn't yet believe. We need to respect them and their choices. And we don't forcefully come on and try to pin them to a corner and, and uh, you know, to pin them down, sort of like MMA evangelism. You know, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to share with gentleness and respect. And Peter says that as we do this, we are in fact revering Christ as Lord. When we look at that passage again, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. It's giving an answer, having a three-minute story, avoiding the weird story that's going to make people think you're a little insane. You know, basically being able to get right down to brass tacks and tell people about how Jesus has come into your life and changed your life. That is a, is a, a mode, I guess you might say, of revering Christ as Lord. When we do this, we are revering Christ as Lord. I know for me, uh, Jesus Christ has turned my life completely upside down. Uh, from being a person that was filled with a lot of anger and a lot of uh, distrust of other people, and he, has, he, he almost immediately turned me into a person who started thinking about love and about forgiveness and about living in peace with people and giving people the benefit of the doubt and maybe even trusting people again. 
Now, I have to say, it's a constant, I'm a piece of work here, uh, in work in progress. It's not that I've gotten to that end point where I can look back and say, oh, yes, I'm a perfected uh, being. I mean, obviously, that's not true. Anyone who knows me knows that's not true. The point is, though, is that what Jesus did at that beginning, that, that incredible boost when I put my faith in him, has kept that momentum going for many, many years. And if you're in any of our services today, and you're in a place where you want that boost, you want that, that, that charge of coming to know Jesus Christ, you can just simply close your eyes and ask Jesus Christ into your life, and you, be, you can begin in this very moment to live a new life. You can become a person of hope, a person shaped by the hope that God gives us, a person who actually has hope in this life and in the next. As the people of God, as the church of God, we need to strive more and more and more to be that people of hope, a people who focus on God's kingdom, a people who see others as created in God's image, and a people who choose to live in love, not in judgment. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for the promise of your word, for the promise of your story of hope. And I ask that, Lord, if there are people here in these, uh, this room that uh, actually want to give their life even now, that, Lord, you would just prompt them by your spirit and they would open their hearts and their lives to you and ask you in. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that you would help us to live as your people, to live as a people concerned about being a people of hope, that we would be shaped by it, and we would communicate that hope into a world that is indeed hopeless. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.